Hello there, and welcome to Delightful Descent. Um, this is episode nine, and today I'm with Daniela Ratzocca. Um, welcome to the show, Daniela. Welcome. It's nice to be here. Great. Thank you for joining us. Um, today's assumption is that it takes two people to have a conversation. And I'm really excited to talk about this one because conversation and communication is the it's a really important tool for almost everything that we do. And actually, for many of us as professionals, it's our primary tool. You know, most of the time, we're, we're talking to people and influencing people, at least as much as we're doing something active. And the idea that uh, conversation is much more subtle and complex than the simple transfer of ideas from one person's head to another is something that I've been thinking about for a long time and, uh, and I think is, is something that is really helpful to get out there. So in case you haven't seen the show before, um, Delightful Descent is about challenging the kind of deep assumptions, the stuff that's going on in the background, um, particularly the ones that hold us back in specific areas, the ones that stop us doing and working in most effective ways and doing what we really want to do and being the people that we really want to be. It's to share some of these specific assumptions with you and get these ideas out there because I think they're really important and they can all help us do more of what we want to do. But equally, it's about giving you an idea of exactly that, those ideas and how you can do that for yourself because that's the other really important part of this. I want everyone to be able to challenge assumptions and do this in their own way. And the show is called Delightful Descent because yeah, challenging assumptions is dissent, saying, yeah, this isn't the way I see things. But it's about doing things in a positive way, opening up possibility and not making it a kind of you're right, I'm wrong thing that just devolves into an argument. So it's about approaching the way that we know things and the way that we understand things in a slightly different way. This is genuinely live, so stuff may go wrong. It certainly has in, in previous episodes. And it's also challenging. So it's about, it's a real exploration for both of us uh, about what we're talking about. We may at some point explore difficult topics and there may also be some strong language. It's, uh, it's entirely possible that that may arise. So just so you know, that's something that might happen during the show. Finally, this is really a process of engagement. It's primarily a conversation between me and Daniela, but equally it's a conversation with you as the community. So if you're watching live, please share any comments, any questions throughout, and we'll have a chance to explore those either during the conversation or at the end. If you're talking, if you're watching on the recording, please do comment, share, and get in touch with both of us to continue that conversation afterwards. So today, yeah, I'm, I'm with Daniela and we first met through uh, Charles Davis's very clear ideas course, I think it was, um, which is a very interesting course in itself. And I'd, I'd really like to get Charles on, on here at some point. Um, when we first met, we were both kind of exploring what it was to, to, to do this practice and exploring what we were kind of, where we were going with this and, and what it was that we were both doing. And I think, having spoken to, to Daniela and kind of stayed in touch, I've been so impressed with how fast and how thoroughly she's moved and the ground she's covered and what she's developed. And I think it's really exciting. So I'm really pleased to have her on as, as a guest today. Um, could I ask you, Daniela, please, to just introduce yourself in your own words and, and tell me a little bit about the kind of things you do and the kind of people that you work with, please. Mm -hmm. I'm Daniela. And um, in my own words, what I do and what I care about is being a body intuitive communicator. Of course, in the work field, this isn't like a standard box you would put people in. So the standard boxes I would fit into is a coach and body worker. Um, I've been engaged in communication all my life. Uh, I've always had a knack for languages. I studied translation. I was a university lecturer. Um, so it's like teaching language and finding ways to communicate has always been my thing. And the last decade, it's been mostly uh, shifting to a more holistic and an embodied way. And that's what I've been working with for the last nine years now. Mm -hmm. 
Excellent. It's lovely. And I think it's really interesting how just how many of the people I talk to, in fact, my own experience is this kind of intersectional work where you've kind of got this kind of technical domain and then you've got this more embodied, more felt sense part and, and the bringing of the two together is, is is a really powerful thing and a really exciting thing, thing to be doing, I think, and mm -hmm. an important thing to be doing as well. So could you tell me a bit about exactly the kind of people that you work with? <laughs> That's another. When you gave me this question, I was like, what's expected of me to answer? And um, when I did my preparation, I was like, the people I work with are usually courageous and curious. Those are like two qualities that I see in all of them. Because in personal development work, it's always about, you know, looking into yourself and reflection and introspection much more than diverting from yourself or getting distracted by the world. Um, so the, the group of people I work with is quite diverse in terms of age group, but it's usually people who try to find themselves who want to change the work they do, who are stressed, who might feel some emotional dilemmas in their everyday lives. And they've tried the more conventional routes and they ended up not working for them. And this is usually how they end up with me at some That's point. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely, thank you. So um, before we begin and before we kind of get stuck into it, I, I usually ask my my guests to share, share a quote. And I think, Danielle, you've got something that's more of a, a phrase, a concept uh, than, than a quote. So yeah. would you be, be happy to share that with us? Yes, the term I want to share is uh, by David White and it's the conversational nature of reality. It's I've known his work for many years and it's been very inspiring, but I didn't know about his philosophy or his approach. And when I read it, I was like, wow, this is like, it adds dimension and it's like, me as a human being, I'm always in conversation with life. And that gives me more doors to look at how am I communicating with the world? And it's it goes away from just the mental or the language level um, and opens new doors of experience. And he does it with poetry, mostly. Um, but I think this is it would be a nice start of our, our conversation to look at the nature of con, you know reality and how conversation uh, comes into that. Mm, I, I I really like that idea and, and the the it also it, it brings in something for me that you know that reality has something to say to us. <laughs> um, it brings in all sorts of really interesting ideas and then it gives you a kind of different perspective straight away. I, I really really like it. So uh, and I like the the multidimensionality of it because mm. a conversation it's a back and forth and it has many actually many layers and directions and either it's like I think in the you know the standard dualistic black and white world it's either like I'm doing something I'm making something happen in the world. This is how I'm communicating. That's mm. my message. Especially when you're you know, as a as, when you're self-employed or you run a business, it's like, what's my message? I need to have my vision. It's very the outwards directed communication, but it's always looking at there's always an exchange of something. And how does that look? And am I actually taking something in? And what is it I'm taking in? And then as a response, what I'm giving back. Mm. And that uh, for me makes it much more interesting than just looking at standard channels of communication. I think it, particularly when we think about digital communication, but, but all communication, I think it, it fundamentally reframes how we think about it. It's a very challenging, actually poses some really serious challenges and some, some challenges we've explored in previous episodes and probably in future episodes as well around how we explain what we do and how we sell what we do and how, how we reach out to people and, and the manner in which we work with people. So yeah, it, it's, it's really, I, I think one of the really enjoyable things about this is how very often these conversations we, we're taking different perspectives on on quite similar um, challenges and quite similar experiences that we're all having and, and how we're engaging with those um, in different ways is, is, is really it's really great so um, so the assumption we're actually you know we're exploring is it takes two people to have a conversation could you kind of go through that what does that mean for you how does how does that actually work so um we actually had a call before to prepare and to choose a subject for this call and the assumption we want to challenge and it took us a full hour to get like this this is this sounds interesting to us and so 
just in the last couple of days, I was really going over because we had a good conversation with lots of themes we touched on. I was like, this would be nice to go deeper into in the actual, in today's uh, podcast. And then for me, lots of ideas come while, you know, I have this theme of being in, like it takes two to have a conversation in my background and then life happens and I start revisiting the thought of it takes two to have a conversation. And this is where a lot of my learning comes from. Like I go to the everyday, to my own everyday life. Um, and so I thought an interesting way of starting the conversation would be to look at, because we came up with this assumption and because we're challenging it, we also know for us, it isn't true to some extent, right? So uh, we we try to come up with a, with a concept that most people would say, yes, it's true. It takes two to have a conversation. And um, so I want to say for me, I have an agenda why I chose, like why I like the phrase. Mm. Um, and it's because in human interaction, we very often experience this he doesn't get me. You don't understand me. We feel we don't get the message across. And it's very often in one-to-one -one, um, conversations we're having. So just saying it takes two to have a conversation. Yes, I want my message to be understood by the other person. And to look at that it's not just me and another or me and a group, but mm. also what conversation am I having with myself? How is my mind talking to my body? Mm. Well, how are my emotions playing into this? Like looking, you know, challenging this statement, it takes two to have a conversation is like looking at opening the door to what kinds of conversations am I really having in my everyday life? Absolutely. Um, I think for me, there's something really big about the, the kind of the need to make myself understood. You know, that, that I, 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 I should do that. You know, there's a, the, the, if I do not, then there's something wrong, possibly with me or possibly with the other person. And I think that, you know, that for me, the, you know, the, why don't you get me or why can't the frustration at not making myself understood are kind of two sides of the same experience in a sense, you know, that the, the disconnect is whether, whether I feel that it's because I haven't explained myself clearly enough or whether I feel it's because you just don't get it. <laughs> They're kind of kind of two sides of, of the same idea. And I, I think there's all sorts of, yeah, really deep assumptions about how we how we come across in the world, how we work with people, how we simply how we express ourselves, how we market and how we sell and how we all of this stuff. It, 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 it this this idea that we can you know, that there's one kind of person with a complete idea of knowing what's going on and they're transferring these perfect little thought bubbles from through words from their head into someone else's head, which is the model, you know. And, and when I say it out loud, there's a bit of me that goes, don't be ridiculous. I know that isn't true. But that's definitely the kind of assumption implicitly that quite often I'm entering into conversation with. Yeah, so I think when you say this now, this how am I getting myself understood and the feedback I'm expecting from the world, it has to do a lot with trust or confidence. It's like for me, it's very often because sometimes I don't get triggered. I was like, this is my opinion. Another person says, that's my opinion. I was like, fine, there's no fight. There's no problem. And then in other conversations, I was like, I get really annoyed and I get very angry. And I, so the often we think, I should be so centered and zen about things that I shouldn't get angry. Mm. But I'm like, my emotion tell has a message for me. So looking into why am I getting so damn angry in this situation, right? So it's, and mostly it hasn't to do with the other, it has to do with a part of myself that's not resolved. Mm. Um, so I actually wanted to talk about embodied communication, but I think it's a nice moment. Um, I've had a couple of interesting conversations the last few weeks since the beginning of the year. And uh, maybe I can share one of the insights. I had one of those conversations where I got really angry. It was one where I had a chat with my cousin and for some reason we got talking about this guy who's quite successful. He's a, um, what do you call it? Like, you know, a super successful uh, entrepreneur, very hipster, um, he's an ambassador for this and that. Um, and I've actually met him a couple of times personally, and I really like the guy. And then when I was telling about that, what really annoyed me 
my cousin said, Dani, you really don't like the guy, do you? And it made me, and it stuck with me because she also knows his work and she didn't get triggered. And then it, it, it took me like two days to think, why am I so angry? I met him, he's a really nice guy. I like him as a person. So what's the thing? And then, you know, in my process of thinking about is like the, my criticism or my opinions about how business is done. And it had to do with him becoming famous for something that's new, you know, in the startup scene and it's the new kind of business and it's the new way of doing things. And all I see is the very old way of doing things. And so I wasn't mad at him as a person, but that the old industry sells something that's just younger and you call it a startup, but it's perpetuating the old. Mm -hmm. And then becoming famous or getting recognized for something that to me is dishonest. This mm -hmm. is what really, <sighs> you know, makes my anger go up and get really uh, annoyed. Mm, so once absolutely. I realized that, I was like, ah, it's criticism of the system. And it's that we're talk about, we look at things only on a superficial level and we don't look at deeply what is innovation. You know, in the startup world, it's a lot about apps and innovation. And I was like, lots of things that are sold as innovation are just um, old theories packaged in an app. Mm. And mm. I think it doesn't let us advance. And I think this really, really annoys me. Absolutely. I think that that the old ways of thinking is, is a really, really fascinating one. And actually, I'd, I'd like to bring in the comments. So if you're watching live, then please do please, please do comment and we can we can bring in anything that you share. But uh, Fresh Mind has shared that yeah, the, the conversation seems to start from soul to ego first um, and that there's this this relationship and this inner dialogue. And for me, that that soul, that that kind of felt sense is really where innovation arrives from you know, where real change arrives from. And we think of apps as kind of innovative, but there can be no real innovation in the app itself, in the steps that you take in the technology. Technology is a technology is an artifact of thought and thought is kind of an artifact of feeling. <laughs> so, so you have to feel differently about something, then think differently about something, then do something different that creates something differently and when we look at the kind of that final end product and assume that we can innovate just in that space we can't it just becomes exactly as you say more of the same dressed up as something new and when for me personally I have you know I have a very strong sense of possibility and what I'd like to see change um, and when it feels like someone's explaining, framing, selling something as that kind of change when I know it isn't, when I sense it isn't. I feel, yeah, it makes me really angry too. But as you say, it's the anger isn't, it isn't reasonable to direct the anger at the person. It's a situational thing. It's, 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 it's my relationship to it. And also I think how much I identify with that person is people that you don't identify with don't really piss you off. It takes it takes someone you identify with to really get to you. So uh, the, I can challenge your statement saying it's also how much you identify with your emotion. Mm. Because I think lots of our conversational problems arise from I have this emotion and then I need to justify it and I use my so-called rational mind and I find reasons why I sh I'm allowed to be mad at that person for doing this. And I think this, you know, this, I think in Buddhism, they call it detachment. This way of saying, I, I feel this energy. What is it telling me about how I relate to my environment? Mm. And then using it as, for me, emotion is an energy that makes me move. So I know, do I want to get closer to this? Do I want to distance myself? And that's it. But it's not about right or wrong. I think our brain is interfering with judgment a lot of the time. And for our sense of coherence, it's like we feel we're mostly we're the way we grow up. It's like we shouldn't we should never be angry. Right. So when we're angry, we need to find a very good reason. So it's justified mm. that we are. And that creates a dilemma. Mm. And I think actually anger is like, I welcome it as an energy, but I need to be able to expand with the energy 
and understand within myself what is it telling me about how I relate to the situation, and then it becomes less about the other. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I think that's that's a really important thing. And, and for me, I, emotions, I tend to actually stay away from the word emotion because it's 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 a confused word uh, very often. You kind of have the, the energy, the affect, the feelings, and then you have the method by which you kind of resolve them, hopefully successfully, you know, hopefully in a way that resolves them in a way that feels good. But emotion is is very tied up with the social situation. It's kind of the social methods by which I'm trying to resolve this stuff. It's actually quite directed, more directed than than I think most people give it credit for. It's, it's got a method associated with it. You know, there's some really interesting research around emotional display and how much we display when there isn't anyone else about, which is very, very little. You know, we don't actually show, you know, you think of all these kind of emotional faces and the classic emotional kind of what those are. If we think we're on our own, on our own, we don't show them however much we feel and we'll report feeling it really strongly but we won't display it and i think that thinking about that kind of emotion as part of communication you know we're communicating to someone else saying look we have this kind of embodied way this is this configuration of my body is expressing this feeling but it is an expressive act it's not kind of it's not as exactly as you say it doesn't arise directly from the feeling so I think it's interesting how they did, like, I haven't heard about this study. Um, but I think, you know, it's when two nervous systems meet, this is where we also meet the triggers. And of course, if there's no one around, why should I, why should my body react in a way for the other to send them a message if there's no one around? So like, this would be something mm. that um, would would invite to some deeper inquiry, like, how am I doing this at home, right? Because I know sometimes I say something out loud when I'm annoyed. Right? Mm. Or like, you know, when I spill some coffee, I was like, you're stupid. Or, you know. Um, but what I would like to share, like this is one of the things that's been really dear to my heart, is the idea of embodied communication. And it's um, it's like it moves a bit away from the emotion, but it, it gives a different perspective on the subject of what is communication. And like you mentioned before, this, you know, the channels of communication. I think actually by creating technology, we understand ourselves better and then we confuse the technology and the structure for being human. And I think lots of the ideas in communication theory came out of this, I've created this computer and this is how it's sending information back and forth, thinking humans are the same. Hmm. And I think it's not true, it's just one aspect what the structure is doing and not how humans interact because we're more complex. Mm. Have different subtle layers. And so there's um, two German-Swiss uh, therapists, uh, Maya Storch and Wolfgang Schacher, and they wrote a book in German about embodied communication and the way how I would, I, I, I can't, you know, give the statement, the definition verbatim, but they say this idea of you don't get me, you don't understand me, cannot stand the test if you look at it from an embodied perspective because they say communication is the joint meaning people create so it's the shared meaning and they I think either it's my head or they did it in the book I use the iceberg model you know saying 20% is in my consciousness 80% is unconscious and I think uh, was it Joe Dispenser says the the body is the unconscious brain right so there's different elements so if the, usually when we talk about communication, it's the verbal element, it's what I'm conscious of. But 80% mm. of what I'm sending out in my communication, I'm not even aware of. So when I, there, I feel there's a misunderstanding and I say, you don't get me, I need to look at what have I been sending out. Mm. Because very likely my, my system is so incoherent that I'm sending out mixed messages. Mm. And then I cannot blame it on the other for not getting me, but what in what you know one, when I read the book and I was like, wow, this is big. What it changed for me was instead of saying those are the words, those are the facts, you don't get this. Um, it's more like, do we share an intention for meeting? 
and you need to ask more subtle questions to see why there's a misunderstanding happening. Mm. And so I don't know if I can come up with a spontaneous example, but maybe I'm calling a phone, a friend on the phone because I've had a fight with someone or something's been annoying. I want to share it. So sometimes my communication intention is just, I need to get rid of it. I need to share it with someone who I feel connected with. Mm. Sometimes I want to get feedback and actually ideas of what to do with the situation. Mm. Right. So, I need to be aware of why am I talking to this person? And sometimes, you know, it's like people feel they, um, they're just the recipient of other people's mental garbage. Yep. Okay? So uh, I think in friendships, you often, you know, you feel if, you know, if the person cares about that, you're the listener because you give a certain kind of feedback. And those of us who professionally listen, um, we're often drawn to it because we were listeners already, um, uh, can often find ourselves in that role, I think. And it's it's one of the, the difficult places where you can kind of end up burning out and, and end up kind of overhelping, which is which is a really big challenge um, for people. I think what's interesting for me in that is there's then there's there's this quality of conversation arising at the intersection between two people. And there's also something very interesting in my work around the, the healthy intersection of needs that we work at the intersection of our needs and other people's so that both are met. And I think there's something really interesting in that on, on the kind of intrinsic conversational level is, well, what is my need? They don't have to be the same. And quite often they're, they're different needs. They can be kind of two sides of the same coin. So one person's meeting one need whilst one person's meeting another need and we support each other in doing that so it doesn't always have to be the same thing but being clear or as clear as possible what what it is i'm seeking from this interaction and it is always an exploration as well because i don't think certainly in my experience i'm not always that clear what i'm seeking until i start exploring which i guess tells me i need to explore but you know it's, it's like how does that work and and you know what 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 kind of conversation are we having? Are we having an exploratory conversation or are we having a kind of directive conversation where we're sharing solutions and, you know, what what feels good and what works in the situation, I think, is, is a really interesting question to ask and, and just jumping to a specific type of conversation, whichever it is, because you can go too far in the other way and people desperately want advice and you just listen to them and they're just like, well, that doesn't help very much. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like, how do we how do we do that, mediate that with other people and with our own needs as well? So what's your way? How far have you come in, you know, clarifying as much as possible the needs of the people involved in a conversation? I think for me, it's, it's, a, it's a framing and it, it's always like, well, what are we framing this as? How do we understand this? And do we share that? And perhaps it's like, you know, it's, it's how far down do we share a, a common set of assumptions? You know, are we coming at this completely as an exploration, completely as play with no direction at all? Are we exploring a defined space? but with no clear direction, which is probably what this kind of conversation is really. You know, we, we've defined a kind of space in which we can explore um, some boundaries, but we don't really know where we're going in it. We're not specifically directed. Or are we at the next phase where we've decided, okay, we've seen similar things in this area and we want to do a thing. How do we do that? And the, the, those feel like the different kinds of conversations. So how do you know if it is or was a good conversation? This would be really interesting. That's a really interesting question. And I think good is always a good is a difficult word because it means different things to different people. It's obviously a theme. I think something that makes you content where you feel it was uh, worth your time and attention. Yeah, that there's a conversation that feels good and is enjoyable in the moment. Uh, and then there's a conversation that has a good outcome gets kind of gets what I want. And for me, the my intention is that all conversations have some of both of those. Um, I would like that to be the case. So, so in that sense, a good conversation for me is one that both, you know, has energy, feels and good is a difficult word, doesn't necessarily always engage with good emotions, but but is connected. And 
results in some shift, actually results in something happening as well. Um, and is mutually, and does that mutually, does that for me and for the other party as much as is possible. So there's, there's a lot of aspects to a good conversation, I think, and, and accepting that, yeah, we don't always reach that. And sometimes the, the, the relative differences will, will vary between the things. I'm just How about thinking, you? I'm th I've been thinking um, because when you like, I, I'm not sure how how strongly it touches on because I made a note of like how do I know what is a param uh, what are my parameters for an embodied conversation? I'm not sure that fits into it. Um, for me, a good conversation, I learn something new. Like if there's no exchange, like I can tell if I it was just an exchange of opinion and one person says, this is what I think and this is what you think and, and it's a back and forth and there's nothing common emerging. This is when it was a waste of time for me. Mm. So, but sometimes the outcome of a conversation is like I had last weekend where I was like, why was I saying those stupid things? And it made me think about myself and why did I say those things that were kind of out of context and for no reason and you know i felt very stupid and humiliated afterwards i was like this was crazy and um and other times it's more so it's always it's happening in the dynamic with the other people present in the conversation mm -hmm. so without them it wouldn't be possible right so with different people around i learn different things and sometimes it's really about understanding the other more and then there's the element about understanding myself more. And the new ideas for me always come from the where I don't know what I think and you don't know what you think. And then something new emerges out of the conversation. I think the ideas are actually joint products and not things that, you know, we have this conversation afterwards to say, this is my idea now. Mm. A friend of mine, she's um, like a creative, uh, works with companies in some, you know, organizational development processes and she says never trust an idea that comes from a closed system meaning your that. own brain yeah. like when it's something you come up with by yourself it's a closed system and your brain is fed by old memories and it never includes anything new so when you think you're innovative and it's just yourself and you don't know the outside influences that that made it it's usually not very <laughs> new right mm. um so yeah, for me, I, this, I want to learn something new is interesting. And then also one thing I came up with is boredom, which is very specific to me. When I start either in, you know, a personal conversation I'm having in my private life or with clients, when I start getting bored and I feel I'm getting distracted, it's not about the other. I know there's something I'm avoiding. You know, in the coaching, it could be, am I avoiding an uncomfortable question? You know, there's something, usually we start, you know, the mental processes and distraction often come when something physical is uncomfortable. Mm. So for me, I started using boredom as a guide of, am I really present? Am I daring to show up in this moment? So that's, I, for, but this is for me, for others, it's maybe lightness or joy or, curiosity you know so every person has different you know depending on how they're built um they know in different ways but for me with boredom i always know because i'm in i'm, I'm a curious person when i get bored something paying attention to i i think for me i i, I actually experienced something very similarly interestingly and i think that understanding that curiosity and, and boredom are, are a huge driver uh, in both ways and i i really like that 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 framing um, and and its relationship to learning really and a different kind of learning. I think that's the other thing is is there's there's learning on a kind of factual level. You know, they're, they're just putting more facts in, and then there's um, a kind of understanding. There's more about the connections between things and is more felt. It's not necessarily declarative. It's not as clear as as that, but it's the kind of implicit understanding that we gain of ourselves and of other things and that that is just as important if not more important than the the declarative knowledge the the, the kind of clear facts and 
learning in that sense, you know, developing that ability and about the self as well, about how I have that conversation with myself, like that self-understanding is something that I can then take forward in really interesting ways and developing that. So, yeah, I, I very much share that, I think, as a as a me metric, you know, a kind of measure of a, of, of a good conversation. Measure is a difficult word itself because it's, for mm -hmm. me, I it's much more experiential. There isn't, there isn't a kind of comparable measure directly it's 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 i can't say this conversation was better on a kind of clear quantitative level than this than this other conversation in quite the same way in this space and i, I think it really plays to this idea of, of you know what that what it is that we're doing in that conversation in that relationship and what what we want out of it there's lots of things I, my brain was doing while you were speaking. <laughs> um, the, so I think it's interesting that you talk about the, you know, the measurable and the immeasurable, the experiential. And I think, you know, what we see now at the moment in public discussions, it's about the facts and uh, conspiracy theories. And I don't want to, you know, address that subject so much, but there's something for me usually when we have a problem in our conversations with others we think it's about the facts but we haven't often we don't have a clear understanding what the words we're using actually mean to us mm. so one of the things i've been doing over the past probably five years is you know boredom like i said before it was one thing i was like so what does it mean for me until i figured out that it's usually an avoidance strategy for me right so um and the so the one of the things that in public discussions it's not about the facts usually you know for me there's so many things science finds out and then lots of the scientists and journalists they ignore the understanding science came to and you know mm -hmm. we have the logical brain that's in, there for structure which is very much reflected in the technology we've developed and the internet and all those processes that we're using and that really helpful. But then there's also the sense making. And for me, the sense making, you know, says is the sen making sense of the world means I need to use my senses. Mm. And that mm. very much relates to the nervous system. How wired am I? What hormones are going on? How are my emotional responses to situations? And actually, I think, uh, was it Antonio Damasio in his research showed that without emotions, we can't make decisions. So mm. anyone who says, I'm rational, you're this irrational person, you're so over-emotional, you don't know what you're saying, I'm, I'm the one basing my decisions on facts. It doesn't work that way. I think it's the difference, you know, when we talk about emotions, it's people being reactive. Like it's an automated, historically learned emotional response to a situation where they're not present enough to see what's really going on and find an, finding an adequate way of dealing with the situation and seeing the other and knowing mm. how you're showing up and with what baggage maybe you're showing up to the conversation. Mm. And Absolutely. so actually the people that, you know, the, for me, the really inspiring scientists and researchers, they're usually very learned and very interdisciplinary and have a, you know, they're very um, calm often and they are, and I'm sure they use their emotions well. They give space to the emotion and they use it for more clarity. Or when they get angry, they was like, I need to figure out what to do. So they make another study. So they actually use the emotions to come to more logical understanding. But I think it's like reason and logic is a small part of our thinking and human experience. And we need to add the other element and integrate it in a healthier way. I, I think there's 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 a lot of stuff in there. I, I think there's there's some some word differentiations um, to, to that I use that that I find quite useful to help me understand this space. And one is the difference between rational and reasonable. And rational is is that strict kind of relationship. It is literally in a in a fixed ratio, you know. And that is that's implied with the kind of deterministic thought and that that very hard kind of this is how it is reasonableness is slightly more fuzzy it's slightly more kind of field orientated a way of understanding the world in in that slightly fuzzier way and and i think what's interesting for me is you can be entirely rational and very unreasonable 
you know, and I think conspiracy theories might be an example of that. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, yes, it does all make sense, but in the bigger context, it's not reasonable to to hold that position. And I think how we work with those two things and mediate those two things. So I think it's not in really the bigger big context. I would say, for me, reason, like vernunft, right? The applying. Uh, reason is is a complex uh, thought process that includes the context. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can look at structures and numbers, and they're very much out of context. I just look at the, you know, the what are the numbers, the zeros and the ones lining up, hmm. but they lack the context. And communication is always in context. It always depends on the context. And I think it, for me, this is where I would differentiate. Mm, and uh, you know, sticking with the, it, we had it before the 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 example of anger, saying, "I'm getting angry right now," but what's the degree to which expressing it is useful in this moment? Maybe I just need to breathe with it and allow the energy up, so I'm clearer in my phrasing, and I can you know communicate better by finding clearer words. Mm. And sometimes mm. I need to say explicitly, "I'm angry." Mm. And other times, I actually, I don't know, I want to move. Mm. And I trust whatever information the body is using, the more naturally you agree to the energy, the healthier it is for you. Mm. I, I, I agree entirely. I think there's interesting, slightly different perspective. Uh, uh, Fresh Mind shared, shared a comment in the, uh, in the chat, which I'm just going to bring up on the screen, um, uh, that the thoughts precede feelings in males and, and feelings perceive thoughts in females. Um, and I think, first of all, I'd like to look at gender is a big thing around this. And, and whilst there may be big gender, there may be measurable differences in gender, the often these differences aren't very predictive. So they don't tell you very much about an individual male or female, they might tell you about the whole group, but they don't tell you very much about the individual. And most of the people that I work with, and my experience is are often what gets counted as female. Um, that has all sorts of different longer complications. And I'm hopefully going to get into get some get someone on the show soon to talk around gender, because I think it's a really, really interesting idea and place to explore. But um I think there's and I'd like to to explore what proceed means, particularly in this, you know. I think things we proceed things on a phenomenological level, like on an, our own experience level, but there's also the precedence in terms of kind of in the body and the flow of things and they might be two different things so for me you know that we experience our proceed in this means you know we think more um maybe think more strongly that's that's experienced more powerfully than our feelings or that our, we experience our feelings more powerfully than our thought and that that's the kind of precedence but in terms of the order of the experience actually in the body on a physical level it has to go sensation, feeling, then thought, because there isn't any other way unless it's internally generated. So if we're getting things from the outside, it has to go. It has to come from feeling, exactly like you say, Daniela, you know, that we've got this, this, um, it has to come from the body first. I wonder if you've got anything else. I think, it, you know, there's tendencies of how to look at things. And I think it's a bit of a, it would be interesting to explore. So I don't, I never have fixed opinions and I don't believe too much in, um, in absolutes. So for me, everything is relative and it's like sometimes something is really useful in a different context. It's not at all, but it doesn't need to be contradictory or sometimes it yep. is. Um, I think it's, for me, it sounds like a hen or an egg problem. <laughs> Um, and possibly it's the self-image as men and women that how we deal with the male and female energies and the logic and the sense making and how we find the balance. And I think it's more like, you know, stereotypically men are praised for their for being reasonable <laughs> and the women for taking care of the community. And so I think it's more what we are identified with m much more than what's really going on in the body. Mm. Um and I, yeah I, I think that's one of the yeah for me i think that, that is one of the interesting things and these ideas these these 
exactly as you say a very useful lens to look at the world potentially through when we over apply it it becomes the kind of only way that we we see the world and we miss a huge amount of the commonality you know that you know to say men and women are different is true on one level but there are far more similarities and far more similar far more similarities on almost every individual basis and far more intergroup similarities than there are differences so if we just focus on the differences we can kind of get stuck in how we can then work with what mm -hmm. is in front of us and that's a really like I, i'm not sure i should say this on a public call but when you talk about the commonalities i was thinking on a it's one of my assumptions which maybe people in the chat will um challenge that you know the the doctors and researchers and the people we've heard a lot in, on the news in the last year as well as the conspiracy theorists my assumption is that on um on a human level in the background the same dynamics are at work uh, you know that the conspiracy theorists they find safety in believing someone who's really evil and the doctors who don't let any argument than their own count are also very insecure and they basically believe in the facts they you know they they come up with mm. so i think that it's, it has to do with how have i learned to deal with fears how confident can i stay if another person has a different opinion without entering a fight mm. so arguments you know are often our way of fighting nowadays so the dynamic the physical dynamic between a verbal argument it can be very violent mm. and i was really thinking about you know i like exploring you know not just because i have a background in translation where you look up the etymology of a word and what it means and where it comes from and what's the original sense that it had at one point and what was it it was how can i convince somebody you know it means forcing your opinion on somebody else It's a really violent thing. Mm -hmm. So how can you end the polarity in the whatever US political discussion? I don't know, but I can look as someone who's based in Austria, in Europe, I can start looking at in what conversations am I so triggered that I really need to convince people of what is my way of looking, the right way of looking at the world, mm. right? So if I can change that, I'm adding to more peacefulness and more humanity and more diversity, allowing more diversity. Mm. I think that that diversity is a really interesting. Again, as you know, we started off talking about innovation, and, and it's actually one of the really, really big themes around innovation for me is that that we each have our own unique perspective, and some people are actually kind of near the middle of the bell curve in terms of their perspective. You know, they, they are, for want of a better word, normal. Um, and that, that they, the, the kind of existing words work for them, the existing approaches we have work for them. As you get towards the edge of that through different experience, different embodiment, um, all sorts of different difference, you actually become you get that different perspective and from that different perspective comes a different way of thinking and therefore a different way of doing things and therefore mm. innovative stuff emerges and how we work with kind of integrating that difference how we engage with it and the fear that that brings i think you know and i, th I think fear management is a big part of this and i absolutely agree you know the the engagement with the unknown, with what might happen, with what I might feel, what I, that, that what I might feel might be overwhelming is, is, is a huge part of this. Because I've, I've always kind of understood one of the drivers for conspiracy theories, and I think completely for, for scientism, for, for, for believing in the absolute certainty of it, or almost anyism really, is that It's very scary to think no one's in charge, to feel out of control in that sense, you know, to feel that there is no one in charge. It's less scary to believe that there's someone evil in control, because at least someone's in control. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, okay, great. Well, then we can fix that. Then we're not kind of engaging with this uncertainty and engaging with these, these dynamic feelings and the emergence in quite the same way. We know what we've got and we know what we're working with. 
And I think that relationship is a really interesting one for me. You're bringing up a huge theme for me. This is like, you know, where are we going as a species in evolution? And like, it's, it's possibly a spiritual question of what's my attitude towards life and, you know, the hierarchies and the structures we've built and what kind of world do I want to add to creating? I think, you know, also in your field, you, you work with lots of people who are, want to do business in a different way. Mm. Um, so it's quite a big theme I was just thinking and very practical so my work is like looking at those big themes and then how does it work for me and usually there's I think it's easy especially now with the you know having had a year of, of a pandemic it feels there's very little we're in charge of but there's actually things we can do where you know the self-empowerment is a huge theme in my work and I think my one of my teachers said you know, we're, we're afraid of the wrong things. And um, it wasn't a lecture she was giving. And I think she referred to like, what will people think of me if I say what I think? Or what if I da da da? And, you know, it's like the embarrassment and humiliation and vulnerabilities we face. But she said, at the end of your life, you know, you're, you know, often you're afraid of the things you haven't done. Like the fears mm -hmm. are... And I think it's easy, It's I'm not sure, did you say it's easier to believe in someone else's evil or someone else's the power? I think it, it's a fear management strategy. It's not necessarily easier in the long run, um, but it's definitely, uh, in I think- In the experience, it's, it isn't easier, but in the mm. for the brain it is, because mm. we've lived with old, especially in Austria, there's so much old hierarchy and structure and who has what title, you know, everything is calcified in the system. Um, and I think it's, it makes us feel our fear when we know, and I can speak up and I can do what I think is right. But it actually, it could be in a positive way, the fear of being so awake. So I find the right actions for me to take. Mm. So I think fear is an energy that makes me awake to my surroundings and to check, is there something to be afraid of? And what is it I'm afraid of? And I think for me, you know, we've talked a lot about the mental plane it's, I think what hinders us a lot in our communication is our self-image. Mm. Um, it's like, what's the idea of how a good person should be and how I've learned that I am? Like, what's the feedback? What's the judgments I've been getting from my parents and my teachers? And, you know, so someone who's always gentle and kind. So they might be afraid of saying no. You know, like, so... On, an indie, on a personal level, um, there's so much variety in how those things play out. They become really interesting to explore, and there's never one solution. Mm. Um, it, it feels like, you know, one, one of the ways I like to, to try and summarize some of this stuff, because it is hugely connected and we can kind of have these really long conversations and go off, but it's quite important also to be able to grab something kind of tangible from it for me. And, and, and I think... One of the good ways to do that is to think about what you do, what you can do less of, or, or not do as much, or stop doing to some extent. And and for me, there's something really in that conversation piece about you know worrying how you're coming across on that kind of self judgment level. Is that how am I coming across to me? It's more like which then opens up the space to really see how am I coming across to the other person in the conversation, really, on a body level, rather than thinking about, like, as you say, exactly those kind of internalized judgments from other people who aren't actually an active participant in the conversation right now, but can still dominate the conversation if we don't kind of work with the person in front of us and ourselves at that point. So I think there's there's something really lovely there in, in that it opens up more space when we're are expressing ourselves more freely and, and obviously that's a big practice and a huge thing to learn to do but and, and but a lot of being able to do that is in that connection with the body and, and how we are feeling at in the moment so i have two things to say to this so one i wouldn't start with what to do less because it's already in the action bit and it's very late in the process for me the first step is 
becoming aware because most of the things we're not aware of our drivers our triggers it's usually from the unconscious so just even reflecting in this conversation why didn't i dare to say this why didn't i you know like now with hugging someone it's like it's, it's a stupid example but there's things we sometimes we hold back or we do excessively as a compensation strategy to just asking honest being really honest with yourself i think is the first step and becoming aware like pulling out of the unconscious the bits that are holding you back in the conversations you'd like to have so this looking honestly and deeply i'd say and then as a consequence once you're aware there's things you can do and then um the the different actions will follow like understanding i want to do less of this is is one step in the process but i think it starts for me a bit earlier and the usually becoming aware of the unconscious bits it's what i pull out of conversations with others this is why i'm going to a coaching this is why i'm getting a bodywork session i need another person's system and input and connection and conversation to learn something about myself yeah no i i i agree the only reason i really share the the kind of not doing part of it is because for me most people most people i speak to are kind of you know they're doing the best they're at their current limit um and the way to open the space for trying something new is is to stop doing something else but you're right it does yeah. does begin with that reflection process and hopefully we've kind of given people a bit of a sense of that, yeah. that today and so the easiest way to change something is through breathing like through slower relaxed breathing you regulate your stress hormones your autonomic nervous system it puts you in a different state so it's something to practice but you know breathing is a nice way of looking at the conversation you're having with the world because you're constantly exchanging oxygen air um it keeps you alive and, uh, there's a very it's a very vital conversation we're having and it's actually the the one connecting bit between the conscious and the unconscious we have in our body functions mm, so, i love that um, the, the breath is a conversation kind of yeah between the conscious mm -hmm. and unconscious as a, as a as an idea to take away is, is is a lovely one um so if people want to kind of carry on and follow up any of these conversations with you get in touch um how how would you like them to do that what's the best way for people to, to reach so out to they you? can either connect with me on linkedin or they can go uh, to my website that yours probably share somewhere I'll, I'll share a link uh in in the in the description as yeah as and um yeah. i have a freebie about how to deal with stress and emotional overwhelm and to get on the list um I'm sending out something one to three times a month, usually with some inspiration and uh, ideas how to become more embodied and have different conversations. And this year I have a huge, it will start sometime in the spring. I have, I'll offer, it's not a workshop, but there will be monthly themes where you can engage, where I share my state of knowledge to establish a common ground and then explore together in online sessions towards the end of the month a specific theme in conversations we're having. That's lovely. And, and mm -hmm. I'd like to, to recommend, I, I did, um, Daniela did a, uh, an advent calendar just to tip in in the mailbox every day in December. And it, it was absolutely lovely. I, I really enjoyed it and surprisingly profound as well. You know, giving yourself that space and connecting with the body is, is great. And I think you've got a really good really clear way of doing it i think quite often it can be quite mystical and quite difficult to get that connection and, and i really really like the way you can describe it in in a very tangible and easy to work with kind of way so i definitely recommend everyone kind of get out there and have a look if you're at all interested and yeah. um, i hope that for you in the audience that's kind of raised some thoughts and, and some questions and I, it certainly has for me i think as there's, there's a whole load more conversations i'd like to have as a as a result of this conversation yeah. which me tells too. me that it, it's probably a good one um if we <laughs> go back to the you know as a marker for good conversations it's that it, it generates more conversations um uh but the next episode um is going to be at 5 p.m uh on wednesday the 20th so that's a week time but but 5 p.m because we're going to be talking i'm going to be talking to uh jenny cornbleet and mark futterman and uh the first time i'm going to be talking to two people at once which will be an interesting experience and we're going to be talking about the assumption i can be a success by imitating successful people so I think there's going to be some interesting crossover here because quite often there's, there's a rather wonderful serendipity about how these, all of the themes that we talk about relate and kind of form this chain of these interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. 
So thank you very much for joining me, um, Daniela. I really enjoyed that conversation. It was really great. So yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure as always. New things emerge as we speak um, and I hope we'll continue the conversation in one Absolutely. form or another. Absolutely, definitely. And uh, thank you very much for joining us in the audience and thank you for your comments. I, the, I'm just sorry we kind of don't have infinite time to talk and explore all of them because there were some great conversations and great points I'd really love to follow up and explore further as well. So thank you for for watching. It really is you that, that make that and make this show possible in the community. So I'd really appreciate it if you would share just an idea you've had as a result of this or a thought or part of this conversation with someone else. Just carry on the conversation and take it further and do some of your own delightful dissent. Thank you very much for watching. Goodbye. Bye.